Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the political party. Today's guest is Grant Shapps and what incredible timing as Liz Truss's leadership hangs by a thread to be joined by someone who is very candid, very open about uh, how he feels about Liz Truss, about how the next leader should be selected and just his relationships with various Tory prime ministers. There's brilliant stories about Boris Johnson in here. Before I come on to Grant in more detail, and this is a very, very special interview, uh, my future guests uh, are as follows. On the 7th of November in a few weeks' time, my guest will be David Dimbleby, host of so many editions of Question Time and, of course, so many election nights night coverages on on the BBC a week after that my guest is Matt Hancock on the 14th of November you don't need me to tell you why that's such a special evening and then on the 5th of December the woman of the moment Rachel Reeves the shadow chancellor someone who who knows it could be weeks could be months before she becomes uh, chancellor of the UK and then on the 19th of December will be the Christmas special and I'm on the verge of being able to announce who those guests are uh, I'm also doing two more performances of my stand-up show clowns to the left of me jokers to the right on friday the 28th of october and on friday the 20 sorry yeah i mean i am doing the 28th but before that i'm doing the 21st so friday the 21st of october and friday the 28th of october at the basically the next two fridays at the bloomsbury theater in london so coming on to grant chaps and why this is so special firstly the timing of this is incredible secondly grant has been Really, he's one of those people who really thinks about these things. We come onto his phone with all these spreadsheets and the sorts of data that he's been gathering for years and years and years uh, from Tory MPs. So this is somebody who really closely monitors the shifts in opinion, the likelihood uh, of things happening and when. So on that level, it's amazing. But also just what his form of Tory politics is and the sort of thinker he is and the sort of person he is and just his philosophy on life. And as well as being a um, a very timely interview with someone who's at the centre of effectively what happens next, this is also just um, one of those interviews where you, you see more from someone than you... And obviously it's the whole point of this show is to show politicians in a human light and to really show a side of them you don't get anywhere else. And that really comes out because he has um, just such a positive view on life and has been through some incredibly difficult times. In fact, two things in particular I don't think I've ever heard him talk about elsewhere that are very, very difficult. So as well as being uh, very current, very topical, um, and you're sort of talking to someone who uh, will potentially have a, a very big part to play in, in the, 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 the things that happen next, it's also uh, it's also over an hour with just such a fascinating person who has such a refreshing take on life. So there's lots to enjoy from this. And of course, plenty uh, of stand-up material, courtesy of the current Prime Minister, Liz Truss. But see, there's an amazing moment in it where Stella creates it. People are just saying, this question to the Prime Minister, why isn't she here? And throughout the session, Penny Morden gets grave. It says, well, there is a very good reason. 
and people will find out, and you're like, is she dying? Like, what the fuck is going on? And then Barty goes, she's going to go, are you crying? This is fucking mad. Well, no, no, when you find out what's the matter with her, you're like, this better be fucking good. At one point, some of the critics goes, it's the Prime Minister hiding under a desk, and Penny Morton makes, I don't know whether it's a masterstroke or the thing going, into the microphone. The Prime Minister is not under a desk. <laughs> but don't ever repeat the chart. That just makes it so much worse. No, 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 she's not a silly bitch. Don't say that. No, no, no. no. There's a moment in it where uh, Toby Perkins, a Labour MP, is getting quite rowdy. And Lindsay Hoyle, friend of the show, friend of the show, he, uh, he goes, uh, oh, he goes, Mr Perkins, if you'd like a cup of tea, uh, I'll happily give you the money to go and get one. You're like, what sort of heck is that? He's an MP, he's not, not homeless. What the hell is going on? Look, if you want a warm bed for the night, oh, I'm dealing with this. If you want a warm bed, I'll happily pay for it for tonight. But look, all I'm saying is, he's going to help me help him, OK? So look, I'll give him a hand up, but I won't give my hand out. OK, Prime Minister, thank you very much. Incredible bloke to watch. Uh, uh, and of course, all this has been, oh, the latest round of chaos is because Quasi Quartang got sacked. Uh, for agreeing with the Prime Minister, which is a remarkable reason to sack her. I mean, he must have been very confused when he went home that night, going, hang on a minute, I did everything she asked of me, and she still dumped me. We've all been there, Quasi. But uh, he must have been very confused, the poor sod, as he got home. Now Jeremy Hunt is the Chancellor, and he has literally U-turned on everything that the Prime Minister two days ago was saying was the right course for the... You're like, this is so confusing for the country. It is. This isn't just like a U-turn where they're going to say, oh, we're going to part privatise like a utility, and they go, actually, uh, the evidence has changed. This is a wholesale change in the economic policy of a government that has just come in. I mean, it would be like Winston Churchill having to come out and go, OK, we won't fight them on the beaches. <laughs> we can't fight them on the landing grounds, and we're probably going to surrender, all right? Uh, the evidence has very markedly changed. It's an incredible, incredible thing to happen. Uh, the Daily Star, if you haven't followed this, um, have got a live webcam to uh, show conclusively what will last longer, a lettuce or Liz Truss. <laughs> you can watch this live on their YouTube channel. And I just checked, and actually, it's doing quite well. Um, it's looking a bit sort of raggedy around the edges and a, and a bit mouldy. And the lettuce is doing quite well as well. So. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if that lettuce became a unity candidate that the Tory party now got behind. Uh, they would literally defend anything, some of these Tories. I mean, could see Jacob Rees-Mogg with a straight face defending having a lettuce as Lee. No, well, no, 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 no. Well, look, I'm afraid you say the lettuce has gotten mouldy. I'm afraid that's a matter of opinion. Well, no, no, no. You're the BBC, and saying that the lettuce is mouldy is straying into commentary, I'm afraid. Uh, and if, look, well, the mould, the lettuce is not in control of the mould. The mould is an issue for independent mould spores. And, look, no, 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 mould is affecting lots of things in the fridge. Uh, mould is affecting the tomato and, indeed, the cucumber. So it's not fair to say it only uh, affects the lettuce. Uh, one line of defence that's being peddled this evening uh, by number 10 is that Liz Truss is actually a victim of sexism. I mean, how can you say, surely you can't, just because you've got a female Prime Minister, we all have the right to say, well, you can't go, fucking hell, my mortgage has gone up 500 quid, what the fuck is going on? Gary, don't ever let me hear you use misogynistic language in front of the children ever again, not in our house, not in our soon-to-be repossessed house. Incredible. Uh, the, the press conference that she called as well to uh, announce this U-turn is one of the most bizarre 
I mean, she looked like she walked into the room and forgot what she'd gone in for. I mean, it's like the most weird... I mean, there is something slightly mesmerising about watching... This is the fundamental problem is, it really doesn't matter what she does. She's just not good enough. And not good enough in the way where you go, oh, maybe it was her time and she ran out of time. She does not possess the personal or political skills to turn literally any situation around, including the situation she got herself into. So it doesn't matter how many announcements you do, they're all going to be terrible because you list trust. So they're all going to be... I mean, I watched that... Press conference through the day, watching a YouTube. I mean, it's excruciating to watch, but you're slightly mesmerised at what's going to happen. You watch it. I watch her in the same way. You know when a dog has got a big stick in its mouth and it's trying to get between two bollards? <laughs> Is it going to figure this out? Is it going to figure it out? It keeps pushing itself against those bollards. There's a slightly sort of mesmerising element of it. But some of the lines she had in that press conference were just incredible. When she went, I know what it's like to live somewhere that doesn't feel like it's benefiting from economic growth. Like, yeah, 10 Downing Street. <laughs> Literally any house in the country at the moment. And then she said, the bit, the, this is what tries to say, I know what it's like to grow up somewhere that doesn't feel like it's benefiting from economic growth. You're like, you grew up in Leeds. Like, it's not a shithole, do you know what I mean? Like, Leeds, I don't, I'm sure people in this room have been to Leeds. It's like a big, impressive city. She makes it sound like she grew up in Beirut. Like it's some sort of like terrible war-torn story. I think she's confused being Prime Minister with being an X-Factor uh, contestant. You're like, this isn't... Sob stories should not be part of like your defence if you've made a mess policy. Simon, please, don't take this dream away from me, please. Simon, ever since I was three years old, all I wanted to be is Prime Minister, please. Simon, I've done everything. I fought so hard to get it. And, and I just want everyone to know tonight, I have struggled in my life. And I've never told no one about this before, Simon. This is why my dream matters to me so much. Because I grew up in Leeds. I've struggled my whole life to deal with that. It's an amazing place, Leeds. I don't know why she's got um, so, uh, so down on it. She keeps using this phrase as well. I want to go for growth. <laughs> like, go for growth sounds like a daytime quiz show hosted by Paddy McGuinness. <laughs> All right, welcome to Gore for Growth, where two sets of teams battling out in a battle of wits. It's time to go for growth. Let the growth see the plan. <laughs> According to a, a pollster interviewing The Telegraph, said Liz Truss is so unpopular, she's less popular than Jeremy Corbyn was, less popular than Boris Johnson was. He said, we are even in Prince Andrew territory. <laughs> <laughs> I just think he's a better communicator than her. I would back Prince Andrew to handle this situation better than Liz Truss. Well, you asked me about Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. I say they are members of the anti-growth coalition. I went to Pizza Express in Woking because of Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine. That constant, the way they always, it really drives me mad that. The, the, the um, insertion of a superlative. Putin's appalling invasion of Ukraine. Putin's, as if... Without that, we wouldn't be fully on board with how terrible it was. Oh, you're right, it is appalling, actually, yeah. Thank you for just slightly leading me to a better conclusion. I was 50-50 until you added that qualifier. Um, she also had a terrible... Uh, she had a terrible moment at Prime Minister's Questions last week. But, uh, this is the problem. When they're in the House of Commons sometimes, they're sort of mid-answer. And I realise it's very difficult in the cut and thrust. But she starts an answer, then keeps repeating, Mr Speaker, I'm genuinely unclear. I'm genuinely unclear. You're like, don't keep saying it. <laughs> I'm genuinely unclear. 
what the honourable member, you know, the damage is done now. That's just be clipped up and like, always think about what. Just stop, stop. Think about it. It'd be like going, Mr. Speaker, I, I suck, Mr. Speaker. I suck. I suck. I succeed because I am a dick. I am a dick. I'm addicted to solving problems like a cunt. Like a country would expect of its leader. Just take a pause and stop before you stop halfway and keep repeating yourself. Um, the, uh, her conference speech as well. Like her speech to the Tory party conference in Birmingham was just absolutely joking. And part of the problem was, I don't know if you noticed this watching it, clearly one of her autocues was too far to one side. So she wasn't able to deliver it right down the barrel. She had one way off there and her arms were just sort of stuck at her side like this. Like, if you're robotic enough as it is, you've got your arms out like that. Don't have two auto cues so far apart that literally involve you moving like this. But the whole thing, she's moving from side to side looking weird. <laughs> she couldn't. Just the basics of just, even like backbench politicians, let alone frontbench, let alone the leader of the country. You know the little bits where, obviously what they want to do is light and shade. They go, here's a little funny bit, but conference seriously. And you go, oh God, yeah, I laughed and then I was deeply moved. She hasn't got, <laughs> she hasn't got like the transition line. So she goes, Andy Street is a human dynamo. And I want mayors elected conservative mayors in Manchester, Yorkshire and all over this country. And they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she went, but we gather after the death of the Queen. <laughs> Surely you skipped a bit there, like. At least say, but while we're having fun today, let's reflect, like, none of that. Like, fuck, what's she like at home? I hope everyone's having a lovely Christmas because Grandma's just died. <laughs> oh, this is how you're telling me this, is it? Okay. We'll go from here. I mean, there was a bit, there were so many weird lines. That the, the line that really stuck out for me, she went, I don't care how you spend your spare time, what two-for-one offers you get at the supermarket. Or what was the other line? Um, yeah, that was it. I don't care how you live your life. What two-for-one offers you get at the supermarket or how you spend your spare time? Like, why? Have I missed the two-for-one thing? Is this like a... I was thinking, is this part of the culture war now? Are, like, people... Are leavers meant to like two-for-one? Are, like, two-for-one's better because they're not inflation? I, don't, I was like, why is that in there? What have I... Why the fuck is a Prime Minister in a crucial speech saying, I don't care what two-for-one offers you get at the... I mean, also the thing about the spare time, you're like, why... I didn't think you were bothered. I wasn't sat down going, she needs to clear this up, man, because I feel like she's judging me. I, no other Prime Minister would have strayed into talking about hobbies. Imagine Blair. And let me tell you this conference. People with hobbies are weird. <laughs> the man I met last week in Surrey, in his 50s, his 50s, starting going to Zumba. <laughs> she's left you, mate. Get over it. <laughs> And the group of women I met in Preston, starting an allotment club, slaving day in, day out, to grow a carrot that might not even be edible when they could go to Sainsbury's and buy a bag of them for 50p. Conference, these people are fucking weird. <laughs> Why are you even bothered? What is going on here? Why is this part of like a leading... <laughs> then she said at one point, she said, I understand how you feel. I want what you want. He's like, oh, I don't think you do. <laughs> I want you to fuck off. And, and you steadfastly refuse. And then she says, she keeps this sort of theme. She goes, I know what it's like to grow up without hope. I grew up in Paisley and Leeds in the 80s and 90s. You're like, 
That's when the Tories were in charge. There's only three years in that period the Tories weren't in charge of the country. What sort of... It'd be like Keir Starmer going, I'll tell you what was shit. Britain between 1997 and 2010. <laughs> and to be fair, Corbyn basically said that. But be surprised if uh, Keir Starmer said it. And then, obviously, the big line, the bit... And again, one of these themes she keeps coming back to... For too long, the political debate in this country has been how about to distribute a limited pie. I want to grow the pie so we can all have a bigger slice. Like, I mean, she's giving away that she's from up north, constantly making about pies. <laughs> I want a bigger pie for everybody. And not just pies, gravy. Oh, yeah. Especially down south, absolutely, comrade. Gravy. I went to a chip shop in Pimlico and asked for gravy with my chips and they laughed at me. That is a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> she then also said, obviously, quoting Tony Blair, she said, my priorities for government, growth, growth and growth. You know, his soundbite worked because he didn't deliver it like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> if he'd have done it like that, my priorities for government, education, education and education. <laughs> People wouldn't have gone, wow, what a moment. I thought it was very, very strange. I think she could ruin any great speech. It's not just about the content, it is about the day. I have a dream <laughs> that my children will grow up in a society where they're judged by, not by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. <laughs> Would not be remembered for the great speech it is if Liz Truss gave it. And then the way she uses Ukraine. There's a, there are old, as I'm sure you know, oratorical devices that, if in doubt, just use what we call a rule of three. And in her speech, she had one thing, she went, Ukraine must win. Ukraine can win. Ukraine will win. <laughs> it seems a quite a glib way to deal with a very serious... Also, the way she said it, Ukraine will win. Sounded less like a prime minister and more like someone who'd stuck a fiver on it. <laughs> um, and then she said, uh, she said the anti-growth coalition think heroes are people who stick themselves to trains, roads, and statues. You know, I, don't, I mean, this is obviously an attack on Keir Starmer. I don't think, like, the insulate Britain people are Keir Starmer's hero. I genuinely... I think this is part of the problem. This might have worked for Corbyn. Keir Starmer's a different political enemy. I don't think you're ever going to hear him say, my heroes, apart from my mum and dad, <laughs> Keir Hardy, Nelson Mandela, and that strange little bloke with a beard who keeps sticking himself to the M25. <laughs> I don't think he does idolise him for some reason. <laughs> Fairly obvious, but um, Nicola Sturgeon obviously uh, got in trouble a couple of Sundays ago. She said, I, I detest the Tories and everything they stand for. Now, on the day, that was rightly attacked as being needly provocative. By Friday, it had aged quite well. <laughs> it was sort of really come round to what Sturgeon was saying. Of course, today she was attacking the Tories' economic policy at the same time as launching another campaign for independence. I mean, it does feel like the economy's not her strong point. Like that. In a way, I wish BBC interviewers especially would just, when they introduce politicians to talk about something, just include their credentials in the intro. We're joined now by Nicola Sturgeon to talk about the economy. Of course, Nicola Sturgeon herself would happily put millions of wrong people on the dole for her narrow ideological cult. First Minister, how are you doing? Just, just, sort of, just let people know what they're dealing with before, uh, before these politicians open their mouths. But um, there is one person, there is one person out there prepared to come out one big beast and back Liz Truss. And he gave an exclusive interview to GB News. Donald Trump. Uh, is backing Liz Truss. Uh, but even he, I don't know if you've seen the interview, 
Even he does it in the most qualified way. And he keeps using a particular word. He goes, uh, I, like, I like some of what she's doing, but it is in verse. It is in verse. And I know she's, I think she's a nice lady. I like some of what she's done. And she seems like a good lady, but it is in verse. And finance, it can be in verse. And she's getting a lot of hits for what she's saying, but it is in verse. <laughs> Even he is like, it's fucking batshit. <laughs> Even he's like, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's fucking stupid. It's so stupid. It's one of the stupidest things ever. She is a silly lady, but I would have done it, but it's stupid. And then he goes, the final part in shot, it's a really odd phrase. He goes, uh, she, had, she, uh, she, she had a lovely send-off with the queen. I think she had the last send-off with the queen, so that's something, right? <laughs> so, what are you suggesting? They cut him off at that point. I think he might be suggesting that she killed her. You're like... I mean, she was the last person seen with the queen, so I don't want to, I don't want to cast aspersions, but I would be asking big questions. As we hold the fate of the Prime Minister in our hands, what a thrilling night we have uh, ahead of the political party. Tonight's guest is someone I've wanted to interview for a very long time. Always the way. It was a catchphrase in the old days, but... Um, People always thought I was being sarcastic, but every time I genuinely mean it. And I've been a fan of tonight's guest for many years. You may remember when he first came on the scene, when he was in the Shadow Cabinet, he'd be on TV a lot. Uh, was always uh, a fascinating commentator on how the Tories were going to win the election in 2010, as they uh, kind of did. Um, but was always an interesting, uh, I thought, commentator, particularly on political strategy and what the Tories needed to do to win. He is a crucial member of the Tory party, a leading person in the Tory party, and whoever is Prime Minister ne next, uh, our guest tonight will play uh, a crucial role, really, in deciding who that is. He has had, of course, a glittering cabinet career uh, and government career of his, in his own right, and I'm sure will go on to lead many other departments. He deserves particular credit for, as Transport Secretary, planning to ban excessive announcements on trains. That is one of the best policies in the history of parliamentary democracy. And for that alone, if nothing else, please raise the roof for Grant Shapps. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I've got you a beer and a water. So, um, whatever you like. But So, uh, were you in Parliament today? I have been there today, yeah. <laughs> And how, how no, it's it? all very quiet. <laughs> Nothing much going on. Uh, yeah, so you did another day in, in the madhouse. And uh, were you in the Commons for Penny or for Jeremy Hunt? I, no, you know what? I was actually beavering away in my, in my room. So I didn't go down for either of those uh, statements, but I did have the, the monitor on. Uh, just came monitoring it very carefully. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I'm sure there's much more of this to come. You don't, the good thing is, Matt, you don't have to be there for every individual event because there's just mad stuff happens every day. So you can go any day of the week. You don't have to go for any particular session. And what was your assessment of how it went down? Do you think Liz Truss should have answered that urgent question or do you think... In a way, it was better that she... Well, I mean, look, it's, it's just a device, you know. The, if you're the opposition, you will put down and you will call for the Prime Minister. And, and m m mostly it would be handled by a Cabinet Office Minister, or in this case, the, the, uh, the leader of the House, which is what Penny, Penny is. Um, and then... Uh, and the, the, I saw your bit before <laughs> I came on. And there was that extraordinary... She's not under the table bit. And we discovered that was true because she then later turned up in the, in the Commons Chamber. And what's your assessment of Liz Truss as a, as a Prime Minister? I mean, obviously, we kind of know 
where you are politically with, with Liz Truss. But does she have strengths that perhaps we're not seeing? Well, she does have strengths. She's enormously... <laughs> <laughs> enormously uh, direct. When she fired me... Uh, <laughs> Forty days ago, Matt, <laughs> um, uh, she called me in, and there's a sort of anteroom of a few sort of us who were about to be uh, fired. And uh, I'm called in. It's like a let's call it an executioner's waiting room for, for reference. And she calls me in. She said, Grant, you'll realise that you can do the voice better, but you'll realise you're you because you're, you're, you're here, and it's the night before people are reappointed, so you knew it was bad news. So you'll realise it's not it's not great news. But I just want to say, I think you've been a very, very competent Secretary of State. Nothing else. Okay. What's this? Am I in the right conversation here? Oh, and also, I think you were one of the best media performers, maybe even the best media performers. So maybe she has got me into the wrong conversation here. But you didn't support me, and there's no room at the inn. <laughs> and actually, I thought... I thought that kind of directness... Maybe... <laughs> Just maybe. I think it is a strength, isn't it? And in, in politics where... <laughs> okay, I'm trying to make something good out of it. I, I think in politics where, you know, everybody looks to fudge things and tell people one thing to their face and another thing to, you know, another audience and what have you. That directness. I got home and saw my wife, who has turned up this evening, in the audience. And, uh, and, and Belinda very wisely said to me, um, hmm, so you're fired? Yes. So she said it very directly, yes. Hmm, was well, there a 20% chance that she's absolutely got this thing nailed? That kind of directness in government could lead to a very clear you know, direction of government. Uh, you know, she won't, you know, civil servants won't be wondering what it is she really wants them to do, will they? Um, she will tell people as it is, and maybe it's going to work. To which I said, so you're saying there's an 80% chance this government isn't going to work with that? <laughs> I think the 80% is closer to, the, to, to where we've got to. But yeah, no, look, I mean, I think that is, a, I think directness is a certain quality. Uh, it may not work in every circumstance. So when she says that to you, but there's no room at the inn, were you tempted to say, you know, Jesus and Mary went through this, and <laughs> <laughs> look how that ended up? Or did you go, fair dues, you know, I don't want to state you're in it anyway. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, I think, you know, there is a, if you're ever fired in, in politics, I think there's a certain grace that is right to expect. I also think, and certainly thought at that time, you know, she has won that election fair and square. It's up to her to form her own um, cabinet and her own government based around who she wants on it. That's the right that you win. Uh, I think it's not revealing any great state secret to say that if you have been elected and you don't have a very broad base in the first place, it might be wise to broaden that base uh, by not including people who, primarily people who weren't uh, in her camp during the campaign. Um, it, it does the opposite. It narrows the base further, and I think that's one of the things which has made it difficult for her to govern this last few weeks. Both major political parties seem to have had, an, and the Tory party's going through this now, Labour went through it with Corbyn, where... The parliamentary party absolutely did not want that individual in the job. They correctly uh, came to the conclusion that he was effectively incompetent and belonged to effectively a wing of the party that was completely out of the mainstream. The Tory party is now going through that 
um, experience. And some of MPs have said, well, actually, we need to take members out of this completely. This should only be a decision for Tory MPs. Do you have any sympathy with that? So I think, you know, if you look at the system, so we have this the system where MPs vote in the first round. They send two candidates out to the party in the country, and uh, the, the, the membership then decides. Actually, I think it's a system that, by and large, has kind of served the party quite well. I think the problem is, and I think, you know, I've been party chairman, so I sort of kind of think I know a bit about what the membership think about these things. And I think the, the, the problem is, whilst you're in power, and whilst there are huge national issues going on, you know, Ukraine, the energy price, the inflation that, that's come from it, going out to the country and spending weeks going around the country uh, with the, the, the two finalists at that stage just doesn't work. I mean, that, I think, is something for opposition. And I think, actually, works very well in opposition when David Davis, who I know you've had on at least once, maybe twice, <laughs> uh, was up against David Cameron. They went around the country. It was an opportunity for shadow cabinet members who always struggle to get noticed uh, around the country to get known before they become leader. And actually, that's a good process. I think in government, um, this does need a rethink. I think if you're in government and the country needs governing, and for whatever reason the leader is in, in need of change or being changed, as, as was the case uh, with Boris, um, that needs to be decided with the MPs. It would have taken a week rather than the whole summer. That's a really good point. I've never heard anyone in any party say, actually, the process of choosing a leader should be different in opposition to in government. And that makes total sense. I mean, when you're in opposition, you're trying to reconnect with the country anyway. So yep. that, there's, a, there's a benefit. And you have time. And, you know, the markets aren't going to move based on what's happening in your leadership election. Uh, and the country gets introduced to the, the finalists. So I think that's a good thing. doesn't work in government. So when Kwasi Kwarteng, remember him? <laughs> when he got up the other week and said, we're scrapping the 45p and all this business... Were you sat in the House of Commons? No, so that, well, that really the real action was during conference. And on the Sunday, I'll tell you what happened actually, to let you into On the Saturday. This is all off the record. Oh, yes, I know there's no chance. <laughs> on the Saturday, I was out knocking on doors in my Welland Hatfield constituency in a village called Wellham Green. And uh, I knocked on the door, and a woman said to me, quite literally, she said, I understand that Putin's invaded Ukraine. I understand that energy prices have gone up. That's pushing inflation up. The banks around the world are acting to raise rates in order... I mean, this was the conversation. It was a, it, very, very bright in my constituency. And she said... She said Did you knock on this trusted door? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, and I accept all of that. She said, what worries me about this mini-budget that uh, Kwasi had, had done is you are then targeting a tax cut which requires you to borrow even more money and then you're giving that money to people who are far more, uh, far better off than I am, whilst I'm having to go out to work in order to raise money for my mortgage, which is going up. In other words, you're pushing rates up potentially more than they need to be to borrow that money. And I, this sounds like I'm making it up. My phone rings as I'm walking off uh, her, 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 her front, her, not even driveway, her, her front path. My phone rings. Who do you think? Quasi Quarto. Liz Truss. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Number 10, Downing Street. Prime Minister's on the line for you. Right, okay. Grant, how's it going? <laughs> it's funny you should ask that, Liz. I was just on this doorstep of someone who explained our entire economic policy and the problems with the 45p um, in like 30 seconds whilst explaining how she was worried that you know, the, the, the mortgage rates were gone. And I said, and this is why I can't support this 45p. That was Saturday. On Sunday, I went up to party conference. I'd written... Uh, for um, Monday morning, an article into the Times, actually just as I have this morning, actually, on a separate issue, 
um, saying that I thought it, it, it sends the wrong message. I want to cut taxes. I want to see low tax economy. I'm happy to see a smaller state eventually as well. But you've got to look after the most vulnerable people first. And you cannot send out a message that what you care about is people up here whilst ignoring people who are struggling to pay their energy bills and the rest of it. Um, and uh, that I did a clip for the, the, the news at 10 that night. By midnight, I'd heard the policy had been um, changed. And on Sunday, on, sorry, Monday morning, I was on the Today programme um, at 10 past 7. And at 20 past 7, Quasi came on and confirmed the policy had been scrapped. So that's actually where it, it, it happened. Uh, and look, I, we, we shouldn't have been in that position. We shouldn't have, you know, any common sense test of that policy have told you it cannot be the right time to do it even if you think in the long run as i do that we should have lower taxes but not at that moment in time uh, and that was the problem with the whole of the budget which moving forward to today has now finally been almost entirely uh, unwind unwound i think that that's what's been very interesting for the public to watch is obviously the tory party's big part of its identity it's a low tax party but there are caveats to that and i think perhaps sometimes because of the way that the Tory party behaves is the public expects it to always cut taxes in any situation and obviously one of the things that's really shocked some people is the sheer amount of conservative people of profile saying you cannot do this well, now. I think you know like all parties but probably the Tory party in particular because we tend to be at our best less ideological than other uh, parties I would say and that makes us pragmatic and that means we do things that you know but because we know that they work, work. And one of the things you can do, you know, you can be a low-tax conservative. I still consider myself as a low-tax conservative, even arguing against that particular tax cut at that particular moment in time. But the other part of conservatism is believing you live within your means. The bit of Margaret Thatcher, if you like, that was missed from this was, first of all, she was concerned to make sure we didn't have a huge deficit and then debt. You know, and, and you've got to do both things. You've just got to be practical about this stuff. And that's how you run, I think, you run a, a much better economy and you've got to take people with you and you've got to explain why you're doing stuff. You can't just rush out the door, do it all at once. And I think that was really part of the problem. And, and for Liz Tristan and Quasi Quartang, uh, and, and that sort of wing or that almost clique within the Tory party, sort of libertarian strain of economics, have you always been slightly concerned that one day people of that wing would get their hands on the leadership of the party? Is this unprecedented? So it's never been, I've never lied awake at night worrying about that, no. Um, uh, I have, uh, you know, I've always thought that, you know, any people who kind of thought that the answer was sort of monosyllabic, cut taxes, got a problem, cut your tax, not feeling well, cut your tax, you know, whatever the thing is. Anyone who thinks that, I always thought would be, assumed would be um, tempered by being in a cabinet that includes people who probably have a, a, you know, other concerns, for example, Make sure you're living within your means, make sure the deficits, make sure you're looking after the most needy in society and so on and so forth. So I think what was unique about the formation, as described, of this particular government was um, its selection on the basis of, you know, had you been in that camp uh, in the first place? And I think, you know, a broader, a broader base is required for any government, in any circumstance, actually. It does feel like that in the last few years, certainly post the referendum, the 2016 referendum, that we then ended up with... Boris Johnson, and that felt like that was actually recruited for quite a narrow, effectively a vote leave government, some elements of it, and then this feels like even narrower. See, I, I, I hear that a lot, but I just don't think it's, it's true, right? I did not vote leave. Um, 
Actually, Liz didn't vote. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, I wasn't, I didn't feel in any way ostracised. There were other people in, in that, I think, uh, Amber Rudd, who, you know, had been, I think, quite rude about Boris driving home or something. Was that like something? Oh, that's right. Yes, he said he's the life and soul of the party, but you wouldn't want him to drive you home. Drive you home, right. <laughs> but, but, um, it's Amber, you must serve. You, you need to. And he put her in. <laughs> now, I'll leave the impression to you that's now. Right. That's it, that's it. Uh, it she, she sat next to me. She was, she was in his first cabinet. Actually, people are now going around saying he had this very narrow cabinet. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't actually particularly true. Um, and, and, but I think this cabinet has been formulated in too narrow a way, and that has led to, to many of these problems. And what was he like to serve as a Prime Minister? So I, <laughs> I actually really, really enjoyed um, serving... Um, Boris, much more so than the other Prime Minister I served, David Cameron. Now, David Cameron was, 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 was good in other ways, lots of organisational strengths. The other Boris, you could, you could be going through pretty miserable times. You know, and COVID, you know, there, there were days in the last three years where, and nights actually at three o'clock, I would genuinely be just lying awake thinking, oh God, how are we ever going to get out of this? This is days before the vaccine when there was wave after wave where we'd unlock a bit and find we'd have to lock down again, you know, and in those sort of you know, midnight and early morning hours, I would genuinely wonder how we'd get through this. And when we'd meet up as a cabinet at the time, often online, uh, but then in this really weird format where we'd go into the foreign office, into this huge, I think it was the Laguna room, into this huge state room, um, and hold a cabinet meeting where we were each sitting much further than this apart from each other <laughs> around this entire giant room. And we were in the depths of it. And Chris Whitty would be there. And, uh, you know, uh, he would somehow provide us with the kind of inspiration to, to push on. And I, th this is going to be controversial, maybe. But I actually think, unrecognised, he's also responsible for saving a huge number of lives, both in terms of um, getting the vaccine done first in this country. It wasn't a coincidence. We had to leave an aid, the, the, the medicines agency to do it. We had to um, invest in the research for the Oxford AstraZeneca. We had to build the factories. Um, but not only that, being the only vaccine worldwide which was pumped out at cost globally, injected into people's arms more than any other vaccine worldwide, there must be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people alive today. And I remember being in a meeting, Matt Hancock, Chris Whitty, um, <laughs> <laughs> You're picturing last, it already, last, I can see it. Uh, <laughs> Boris Johnson. And the, the plan came in for the rollout of the vaccine. We finally had a vaccine. It was so exciting. And the plan came in. And it was a sort of off-the-shelf, what everybody else was doing probably around the world, yeah. to roll out this vaccine. And uh, Boris, when he didn't like something, he'd never say, just do this thing with his eyes like this. <laughs> I, I, I just... We can do better. Do, do, who, who thinks we can do better? Yeah, did anyone put their hands up? <laughs> yeah, so, so timidly. So, yeah, why do you take this away? Why, let's involve the pharmacies. Pharmacies, they're, they're, they're the answer. So they, they go away. Two days later, we meet up again for the next meeting about vaccine distribution. Hmm. So, I, I think we can do better. How about the army? Let's get the army. Let's get the army involved. Come on, come on. Who's up for it? Come on. Um, and it went away, and the plan came back again. And that is how we ended up rolling out a vaccine faster than any other, you know, 
a developed country or, or G7 country or G20 country in the world, how we ended up getting out of it uh, sooner, and he's literally given no credit for it at all. Now, I'm not saying... Bring back Boris? No, I'm not saying. <laughs> That's the first thing I'm not saying. The second thing I'm not saying is he wasn't... <laughs> He wasn't a man without his, his flaws, right? But, but um, yeah, who's up but, for it was often yeah. what he said. And often what he got into trouble. When uh, back in the, in, the, in, the t- <laughs> in the 2019 leadership election, I helped him in that election. It was a time when everyone thought this has got this two-stage thing. He'd be enormously popular in the country, was the perceived, received wisdom at the time. But he would never get through the MPs round. This was the, this was the received wisdom. And I said, well, actually, I think he probably could if he could just get himself organised. Uh, <laughs> yes, you met him. And throw off some of what happened in 2016 when there was this disastrous thing where you know somebody sold, you know, somebody uh, uh, stole all the all the data. I think it was Michael Gove's camp, wasn't it? They sold the data, and the whole thing was chaotic when he tried to stand as leader in 2016. Um, anyway, so I helped him. So, so, so I thought he could do it if we. He said, well, you, 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 you will be the person who organised it. So, so anyway, he won uh, the MP round. It went out to the country. And now you got into this two month of, you know, them traipsing around, trying to sell themselves to him and Jeremy Hunt. And I, I went to see him during that time. And th- there was a sort of, people always say, well, were you promised a, a, a job? Yes, I was. <laughs> I, in fact, I said, Boris, I'm not sorting this out for you unless I'm actually part of you getting, you know, so, so I, in, in honesty, I was. And I said to him, um, but Boris, I've spent a lot of time this last few years. I've been on the backbenches post David Cameron, and I've spent a lot of time on infrastructure. I'd set up something called the British Infrastructure Group of MPs, big, and we campaigned. <laughs> Did you start with big and work back? That was exactly how it works. You've seen right through it. <laughs> Um, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, we, we campaigned for better infrastructure and better, you know, uh, uh, railways and all, all sorts of things. And I said to Boris, this is before he became leader, but he was quite close. I said, Boris, what I'd really like to do, if you could see your way to it, is I'd love to be Secretary of State for Transport. It's what I'm really interested in. I love the infrastructure side of things. I think we agree on a lot of this. We could level up if we could build the transport networks. He did the narrowing of the eyes, which I thought was very bad news. And uh, transport, transport, transport. Would you be my health secretary? This is pre-COVID. Thank goodness I said no. Thank goodness. And, uh, and, and I, when I said, look, I would. I, but I re- why don't you make me the thing I actually want to do? I mean, chan- you know, health is supposed to be a sort of higher up the rung. But so why don't you give me the thing? And he did. And I was very, very grateful and I stayed in that position uh, throughout and it's a job I really really love doing. Well there were so many elements to it. Uh, it I loved the videos you did with Michael Portillo mm. and I loved the plan which I hope this Prime Minister or whoever it's next is going to stick to to ban excessive announcements on mm. trains. Is that on the statute book yet? No, I came in this morning and apparently not. I was cursing its failure to have yet uh, got through but they're very very annoying aren't they? Oh, I just thought it's one of those things that it's only when you hear someone else you go, oh my God, I'm not the only person yeah. suffering from this. Yeah. I felt Due seen. to the inclement weather today. <laughs> bloody sunny. What, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Careful you don't slip on the platform. And they, they read the wrong messages at the wrong time, which is uh, one of the things I found. The tannoy cuts out? Yeah. On every train in this country. I mean, there's so much... I mean, we could sort of get into that. We could that, do a whole train. Yes. Um, but uh, obviously being transport secretary meant that at times you did have to do those 
COVID TV briefings. So that room that we've watched Liz Truss in, yes. you've been in there. What's it like when you're stood on the... Because obviously it's not like a theatre like this. Mm. When you're at the podium looking out, what do you see? Is it quite claustrophobic? Well, the, 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 the later uh, room, that blue one, was of course a sort of, a, 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 sort oh, of yes. a, a new thing. During COVID, when uh, literally 10, 12 million people would be watching the updates, we all had nothing to do, right? We were all at home. So it was like, you might as well just stick the telly on. The BBC would send out the news alerts, Sky, etc. Everyone would tune in. Um, I had the misfortune. So it, they were held in what was a, is, is called the state dining room. Yes, I know. And that's the wooden yeah. panelled one that they were in originally. A couple of flags behind you. To get there, you'd walk through a rather unsalubrious kitchenette. Yeah. Uh, which is the last thing you walk through until you got out onto the, the stage. And when I was doing because it was empty, it was just the camera uh, and sound person in there because of, because of the COVID rules. But I, I started to be pushed out to do these. And I thought, oh, okay, we'll, give, we'll keep, we'll keep sending, them, sending them out. And it is a moment because you are addressing the entire nation. You're aware that people are watching the very, very serious issues of, of, of COVID. No known endpoint to it at that time. Of course, I got on there. And it turned out to be the day that one Dominic Cummings had gone to Barnard Castle. <laughs> or had he? Because another story is he'd gone there but come back to London, but gone back up there again. And there are dozens of different versions of what, what had gone on. So um, I was desperately trying to find out what it was that had... Because you know, the, the main thing you need to know when you go up and you do those things is what is the truth? <laughs> right, that is really helpful. Yeah, and don't tell it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the boy didn't like the play. Uh, uh, but there was no chance of me telling him. I didn't know because no one could get in touch with him. And he wasn't answering me. He wasn't answering the Prime Minister. Uh, number 10 didn't know. Uh, all I had was my speech about the A66. It so happened that that very day, that Friday, uh, in May I think it was, we had decided that whilst the roads were clear, we would build the infrastructure this country needed. And so I had a one billion pound announcement about the A66. Where does the A66 go to, folks? <laughs> Bernard Cost. <laughs> no way. So, so, so anyway, I'm, I know this is going to be what in political terms and, and media terms, we call a car crash sort of uh, uh, event. I had, I had this announcement to make. I knew I would get through the first 10 minutes because that's your speech and give the latest updates and some very serious figures as well, which is, you know, you, you know that, that that bit is, is, is all written down. And then you turn to the questions. And that is where you have to sort of, you know, you've got a written down list of people, you turn to questions, and you know it's going to be impossible. Anyway, I only describe all that because you can imagine the fear with which I was going, the trepidation that I was going out to address the nation. Dominic Cummings was the only story, he may or may not have been in Barnard Castle, no one can tell me a first sort of thing about it. And I get to the kitchenette before you go out to address the nation. And this number 10 runner, who I've never seen before or since, this woman says to her, she looks me up and down, she goes, like this, Mr. Shabs, oh no, Secretary of State, I just want to say, there isn't anybody in this country or in the world, and I thought, this is going to be words of inspiration, I'm going to go out and I'm going to deliver this thing and nothing can knock me off. There's no one in the world who would want to be in your shoes, right? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> That was inspiring. <laughs> and then I had to go and do Andrew Marr on the yeah. Sunday. That's right, I was booked into the Sunday shows as well. I thought by Sunday they'd have the story straight. They would have spoken to Dominic Cummings, so I call on the way into Broadcasting House. 
Um, what's the latest? We still haven't got any updates. I said, what do you mean? It's been 48 hours. Sorry, we've got nothing to... I said, well, I'm going on national television. You've got to tell me something uh, about this. I said, nope. I said, well, what am I going to say? Say what you said on, on Friday to the press conference. I said, well, you mean the A66? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Andrew Barr is interviewing me. So, but, you know, but Secretary of State, you know, you must recognise that Dominic Cummings being in... And I went... Very interesting, Andrew, but I think what people really want to know about is the duelling of the A66. He uh, said, so where does that run to again? Yes, but on our castle. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you, because um, obviously from the outside sometimes, and I worked in politics, so I, I always feel for politicians in that situation. And I know how many politicians, regardless of ideology within a party, feel loyal to the party and to the government and everything else. Um, one of the frustrations I think people had with some cabinet ministers in the last few years was just how they could just literally go out and defend anything, even though it appeared to not be the truth. How f- far effectively w- are you prepared to go? And, and are there any interviews you've given where you've come away thinking, oh, God, that, I never no, there, want to do that there again? Were, there were times where I just wasn't on the round because I, I, you know, I, do, I couldn't get a, 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 an answer other than you know, pro- probably actually educated by that, what happened on that uh, Bernard Castle thing, where I, I, I just didn't go on. And I, I said, sorry, I know it's going to be an empty round. I, I, I haven't got an answer to this question unless you can give me an answer. I, I can't go, go on. But, but those were the, that was rare, because sort of it, actually when you looked at them, particularly through COVID, a lot of the things that were being thrown at us, I, I, I kind of thought that like if you were watching it or listening to it out there, you, you knew, you, you could almost put yourself in, in, in my shoes, and I'm like, that wouldn't be enough time. Because there was no textbook for how you dealt with COVID. We hadn't had anything like this for over 100 years. And so, you know, although... It's quite right to ask the questions about where's the PPE um, or, uh, you know, um, how fast does the vaccine roll out or all these other things. Actually, a lot of the time, you know, you, you, you could just tell, you just, all you have to do is, is tell the truth. And I always think the best thing is not to dissemble too much. It's not to, not to sort of, no, well, you know, you're completely wrong. Just say, you know what, and in particular during COVID, you know what, you're right. I wish we had the, the, the PPE. We haven't manufactured it in this country for years, we've been buying 90% of it from abroad. The whole world is trying to get hold of it uh, right now. You're right, it would have been great if we were better uh, prepared. You know, we weren't, and we were learning along the way. A lot of the time I'd be trying to sort out the borders, you know, and it was very, very difficult during COVID to know whether you should be opening up or closing down. And if you 
if you didn't close down, people would say, everyone else has closed down. You know, <laughs> COVID is here. What are you doing? When you do close down, everyone would say, um, you know, you, you, we, we can't, we can't um, go away on business or, or take the family on holiday or what have you. I think most people are sensible enough to know, you know, you, you're doing your best. You're not always going get it, to get it right. We didn't always get it right. But, you, you, you know, you try and do the best job that you can without a textbook, in that case, to tell you what the heck you should be doing. Uh, one person that was influential at the start of that, um, you mentioned earlier, was Dominic Cummings. A kind of mythical figure, really, in, in British politics. And obviously, because things have happened so quickly since, it, it almost feels like it was ages ago, but he's, I mean, people project all sorts of stuff onto him. He probably doesn't do himself a lot of favours. What's your view of him, and what's he like? So, <laughs> I, I mean, I, my, he, was, he was a man in a hurry. And he always wanted to kind of blow up the system in order to to kind of get to his destination. Um, and my, 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 my take on him was always um, largely stay out of his way, actually. Um, I did, I, you know, uh, we had a perfectly constructive relationship and it, was, it, it never really caused me any great, any great shakes. It may have just been that he wasn't particularly interested in the things that I happened to be doing at, at that time. I think someone like him has huge strengths. They can... They can literally blast their way through a problem and forget whether you vote, leave or remain like I was. You know, he got to the conclusion that he was looking for. But for the subtleties of government, for working with Whitehall, there's a man who will always, always be frustrated with the process. Right rounds, collective agreement, you know, needing to build a, a business case first before you do things. These are not his favourite <laughs> pastimes. But did you think, oh, he's not the sort of person that should be at the centre of power? I, I think there's always a place for somebody who shakes things up a bit. There was, um, what was his name? Steve, the guy under Cameron, used to go around without shoes and socks. Steve off. Hilton. 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 Um, yeah. Steve Hilton. There was uh, Nick Timothy under, and Fiona Hill under, uh, under May. Um, I, I, someone else will have to remind me who, who there was under, under Blair. There's always a character who's a bit of a contrarian. And I think, actually, and I think this is a... You know, somebody who's, who's spent time being Secretary of State in ministerial positions, you want people who are going to challenge. The problem is if you don't put some form of system, you know, machinery around that person, and it can all go wrong. And they're the kind of people who always get frustrated first. They always have a, 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 a you know, they're always screaming and shout when things go wrong. This isn't really my style. I'd rather have a process, a system, you know, bring their ideas in. Maybe there's some great ideas there, but don't let it blow up what you're doing. You mentioned Nick Timothy there, who you effectively blocked from getting a parliamentary seat. Was, so did, did you prefer Dominic Cummings or Nick Timothy? Well, actually, Nick Timothy texted me last night, as it happens. Um, uh, so, so you're right, I blocked him. So he was, just reminded me, he, um, he was a special advisor to Theresa May whilst she was Home Secretary. And um, he was on the candidates list, in other words, wanted to become an MP. I was party chairman at the time. He wouldn't go out and campaign in some uh, by-election. I was asking all of our candidates to do that. It was okay for special advisors to do it. He refused along with somebody else. And, um, and I said, well, you can't therefore be on the candidates list. They took umbrage and said, you will live to regret this. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and, and I did not feature in Theresa May's uh, cabinet, amongst other, amongst other, amongst other things. Um, but, but actually, subsequent, um, about a year ago, he, he, he texted me. And you know, I think we all, I think, I think politics and public administration works at its best. When you do have time, 
to think about the things you did, good and bad, reflect on them, and, and actually sometimes mend bridges. And, and I think I'd say we have. Yeah, and, uh, but also good for you for blocking him because on the grounds, on those grounds, because so, uh, when I worked for Labour, some special advisors did think they were above door knocking. I had Theresa May was was on to me. Oh, I don't think they should be. Yeah, you know, I said, well, it's got to. I can't ask somebody who's done, you know, uh, who's an activist, maybe who's been a councillor, may, maybe not, you know, and they've got themselves onto the candidates list and have a red mark against them if they don't go and campaign because it's a collective team effort, right? Um, but it's okay for the Home Secretary's special advisor, Spats, not to do that. And so I, I just thought it was a, a question of fairness. They wrongly thought Cameron had put me up to it. No one had put me up to it. I just thought it was wrong. Because that's what's fascinating about politics. People always see, they go, oh, that's because of yeah. Cameron. Or, oh, that's Peter Manders. Or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, they see intent and, and conspiracy everywhere when it's simply just he wouldn't campaign in a yeah. by-election. It's usually coincidence or just bulls up. Actually, that's usually the answer to almost everything. Is they got it right? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, there's usually much less rhyme or reason to why, why things are done. And as you say, people read into everything as if there's some sort of, you know, plan. Maybe less so at the moment, but, you know, generally. <laughs> <laughs> so you were seen as effectively helping bring Theresa May down. And people are talking now about this new mobile phone you've got, which is it a, is it a Galaxy that, if you've got one of these new foldable ones? I, I want to, is anyone here from Galaxy Public Affairs, from Samsung Public Samsung Affairs? Because I, 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 I think they're, they're only one. It, it, it's just a, a, a phone which happens to fold out. I don't actually have a separate tablet. And have you got it with you now? I do not, no. Oh man, Sorry. where is it? Uh, it's actually with my wife. Damn it. I really <laughs> wanted to like see, I wanted to see, because this is the thing that apparently contains the spreadsheets that will that holds the right. fate you know spreadsheets are in the cloud these days, right? It's not really <laughs> so on that phone. You can download it online. So what, 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 <laughs> give, um, give me your password. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, that spreadsheet that you've got on this folding device, I don't know why the fact that it folds makes it feel also more like on any computer screen you want to put a spreadsheet on. But that, there's a yeah. kind of drama I know, to I know. closing yeah. the book. Also great for Netflix if you want to just be able to see the screen better. <laughs> so the, the spreadsheet that's been written about, Yes, I think rather overwritten about, actually. Okay. I mean, so, uh, it's not quite as exciting as it, as it sounds. I've always been kind of quite interested in, um, uh, you know, sort of being able to sort of track and sometimes try to predict what's going to happen um, next. It seems like a perfectly sensible thing to do in walks of life and definitely in, in politics. And, of course, that's easier, easy, easily done now with things like um, spreadsheets, of course. I, um, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a student of, fascinated by, um, a, for political geeks in the room, LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson's biographer, a guy called Robert Cairo, who's written four volumes, uh, which are the best political uh, uh, biographies I've ever read about LBJ. And amazingly, hasn't written the fifth, which is actually when LBJ gets elected to the presidency in his own right. Uh, and he's, I think, Robert Cairo, the author's 80, mid-80s, and I'm getting quite nervous about the last <laughs> volume. But anyway, um, in that book, he talks a lot about, in, in a, one of the, uh, I think it's number three, it's called Master of the Senate, the volume three, and it talks a lot about how LBJ would, um, would count votes, which for him was simply, pull a piece of paper out of your pocket, who's, who's, who's for, who's against, I am no. Um, and I, I got to thinking uh, about this, particularly during the time of the meaningful votes. So this is to take you back to the Brexit vote had happened, as in the, the referendum, 
And now Theresa May had the problem of how to deliver Brexit means Brexit. And she had these meaningful uh, votes and kept losing them. Yeah. And so it, was, it became a sort of quite interesting to try and understand whether she would win the next one she uh, called and also why she was calling them if she was going to lose them anyway. Um, and uh, so, so I, I just applied that kind of very princip simple principle that you just kind of, you know, I know you think this is what the whips spend their time doing, but you add up the people who say they are going to do something uh, against those who, who are going to vote the other way. Um, but I realised that actually, how much do you trust a politician? Can't. No. I don't. <laughs> how much can you trust actually any of us? Not just a politician, but you know, people say, "Yeah, no, I will vote." Will, will they really? Were they fifty percent? Were they seventy percent? I'm not. I'm not sure. So actually, rather than saying, you know, Matt said he was definitely voting for, actually, you may yourself still be wavering. So why don't I say you're fifty-fifty? And then you just, you know, you have a statistical and analysis basis for projecting uh, a vote. I don't think the whips had used that form before. And you know, so so I, I just started trying to predict what the outcomes would be. They were very accurate, and, and I carried the same system through to uh, when uh, Boris was standing for for leader, uh, and he got 114 votes in the first round. I remember, I remember it. the problem with this method, by the way, why it's useless to the wits, is you can't actually tell who is going to have made up that 114 votes because if somebody's 50 in favour and somebody's 50 against, which one of them voted that way? doesn't tell you the answer. Ah. So it's actually not as helpful to whips as it sounds. So, using that system, how long does Liz Trust survive? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant intro. <laughs> I, look, I, I, I don't think it's any secret, and I don't think she would even deny it herself. She has a, a mountain to climb, an Everest, a Mount Everest to climb, I'd say. You know, this is very, very difficult, very serious. I think what she needs to do is, like, threading the... I have a needle probably with the lights off. You know, it's that, it's yeah. that difficult. In the wrong room. <laughs> you know, the long piece of thread. Uh, and and uh, so clearly what she has to do is enormously difficult. I think it's very important that, um, you know, we do succeed in, you know, I think what Jeremy Hunt started to do today, which is stabilising the uh, markets, uh, correcting some of the errors that we were talking about right at the, uh, the top of this. Um, you know, and I wish her, uh, uh, you know, luck in doing it. I think it's important that we, we do get it, that we do get it fixed. But I, I, I clearly, she has a mountain to climb in, in getting there. But it is, you know, there's there's Caro books, uh, the Bible. I mean, the, when I was working for the Labour, the Brownites were obsessed with those. I think I've got the fourth one, Passage to Power, which is amazing. Uh, These LBJ books are like the yeah, Bible of yeah. modern politics. Yeah. For, put them on your Christmas list. I mean, they're just amazing. They're beautifully written books. They are where very, you'll very learn good. more in the first one about hill farming in Texas than you thought you ever needed to know. Yeah, they are great. But uh, obviously as someone who's obsessed with, you know, LBJ and, you know, needing to count and all the rest of it, and such an astute observer and participant in modern politics, can you ever remember a, a leader getting themselves into the sorts of trouble she's got? Because this isn't reacting to another storm. This isn't Thatcher dealing with mm. the industrial strife of the 1970s. This is Liz Truss's economic policy unravelling within days. I mean, it feels unprecedented. It is. And that in itself... <laughs> even if Jeremy Hunt succeeds in effectively correcting the course, there is a political cost for that sort of behaviour. What does your gut tell you about what that political cost is? Well, look, look, I mean, I, I think um, yeah, it is clearly surprising and very, very... Uh, 
quick. The 80% turned out to be right, not the, not the 20% <laughs> that I was describing it at the beginning. Um, and you know, not having a broad enough base and those things have made it very, very difficult. That gives her the mountain to climb. I don't know uh, whether there will be or when that uh, you know, leadership election uh, might come, and I'm not calling for it because I think it's important that you know, MPs come to their you know, own conclusion about which way to go on it. But um, I do think that as and when it happens, if it does, it's important that it happens quickly. I don't think you can be in a situation again where, you know, two months out in the country, you know, a couple of candidates trailing around, waiting for, you know, where we're all supposed to sit there, you know, we'll just wait and see what happens with, with, with interest rates, in my view. It's very, very important, I think, that, that if it did happen, it, it happened quickly, and I imagine that 1922 would be, would be looking at that. But I don't know when, and I don't know if it would definitely, it would definitely occur. I mean, it, it feels almost impossible that she would lead the party into the next election. Well, can you visualise? <laughs> it's an interesting view, Matt. Uh, tell me more uh, how you've reached that. Conclusion. It just it looks like certain defeat. I mean, no. isn't... Wouldn't the party be better saying, we realise we've made a mess, which is effectively what they're having to do anyway. Go, look, mm. This is a mess. We're basically, we're sorry, we got this wrong. And the person who got it wrong does have to go. And then you or Jeremy Hunt or Michael Gove or whoever, Rishi, Penny, whoever takes over and says, that was a blip. We know we made a mistake, but you can. We're grown-ups, and we do feel different to Liz Truss. And at the next election, effectively, return it to politics as normal. Surely, as embarrassing as an excruciating that is, that is a preferable outcome for, for for you, for the party, for the multitudes of MPs whose careers and livelihoods rely on it, than just letting Liz Truss carry on. So, I mean, I, look, I think you're brilliantly asking me the same question again. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, uh, We've got three or four other formulations. Dress, dress up as a new question. That's a really interesting question. I've never heard that one before. Uh, but, 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 but look, I think it is essential it's sorted out, not just because um, on a very narrow political front there will be, you know, 357 Conservative MPs very concerned about uh, their own constituencies and seats. That's a narrow thing for those MPs people like me, and, and, and the party. I think the bigger consideration is for the country and what it means to have stability, very important at this point in time. So I think it's enormously important uh, for the country, for the markets, for people's uh, mortgages. Um, and it's very important, actually, also, because you know, there is much of this which is outside our control. A lot of governments are going to be having a difficult time uh, because you know, inflation is, is very high everywhere. Germany's got higher inflation than, than we have. For example, you know, and that must be very frightening in a country like um, Germany. Every domestic economy is dealing with this, and every government will be. Um, what we need to do, as I think what you were describing, is detach the leadership of the, the, the country from those problems which are very real and are due to Putin's, I'm afraid I'm going to add to the adjective, appalling <laughs> and unjustified, for good measure, war uh, in Ukraine, which, which, which it is. So, so I think it's very important that, that, we, that we detach uh, uh, issues with the leadership from from that. As I said, I'm not. I, 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 I think you're tempting me to call for a leadership election, which I'm not doing. What I'm saying is, she she can fix this if she climbs that mountain and threads that needle. <laughs> Possibly at the same time. Uh, how about that? I'll, I'll go. Okay, that's fine. Again, based on that analogy, do you think she has the requisite mountain climbing or needle threading ability? <laughs> Does anyone else see what he's doing here? I, I think I. I think I'm, I've, I've got wise to this. Um, look, I mean, you know, pe people, people. <laughs> Next. Uh, yeah, I don't want to make you. No, I mean, look, I mean, look. All I'd say is this: uh, 
clearly there will be mistakes in there. Any, and she says it herself, I think it's true. Um, I've described the narrowing of the base when we should have had the widening of the base. I've described how you can't have a single answer, tax cuts, to any problem that presents itself. Um, and uh, you know, the question is uh, the extent to which um, you know, the, 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 the Prime Minister looks at it and goes, actually, yeah, that's, that's right, and can then, and then express that. And, uh, you know, that, there is the mountain. Kilimanjaro, how's that? <laughs> say, the, the mountain's getting higher. Like, no, but it's a, difficult, it's a difficult thing to do. And what's the atmosphere like among Tory MPs on WhatsApp groups? <laughs> on that phone where it... I think you can basically open the newspapers and find it it's not most of them are published live actually on their on their websites at the same at the same time I I, I know, I, I know you, you know colleagues of course are concerned about what's what's happening they're concerned for their constituents I know MPs are always kind of you know at their base painted as being worried about themselves Actually, the typical conversation in the tea room, if you like, is actually an MP saying, I've just received this email, and it says that, and I'm very worried about this constituent. In the same way as I walk back down the, the, the garden path from this woman who told me about taking another shift to help pay her mortgage, and I reflect my views through the, the lived experience of this, of this constituent of mine, of this resident. And, and so a lot of MPs express their concern, um, truthfully, I think, through the lives of their constituents. By the way, one of the most brilliant things about our system that a lot of people denigrate and say is, is terrible is I met someone here, they happen to be from my constituency, not my family, here, <laughs> but, but, um, but, but somebody backstage there who you know I met is from my constituency. You immediately feel attached because they are the people who you are answering to. The number of people who come up to me say, you are my MP. I don't support you. In fact, I hate you. But you are my MP. My MP. It's a brilliant system that connects you like that. And by the way, for anyone who loves PR in this country, proportional representation, the danger is you lose that connection. Um, Have I taken you away? I think I've done it. Well, I think I've done it. Don't tell them. I don't want to just ask you about this trust because you've had a fascinating life and I'm interested to why. Uh, and what your sort of conservatism is then because you feel sort of part of like the sort of Cameron era. Uh, and perhaps in that style. I don't know whether, but you said that you preferred serving under Boris Johnson. So was that just a personality thing? Or was that ideological as well? So, so I think if I was going to describe what kind of conservative, I, so I, was, I was a pragmatic conservative. I mean, I think I believe in, in you know, finding solutions to, to problems. Of course, I, I, I broadly speaking think that the market is, is an important way to do that. And you've got to create wealth and all of those things. But I passionately believe in the, in the NHS. You know, never had private health insurance, went to state school, you know, uh, um, I didn't live in Leeds, so I have that against <laughs> me, but, you know, my sob story, but, uh, but, but you know, I, I generally believe in, in, you know, giving everyone an equal start in life, which you can do in this country through um, universal access to healthcare, universal access to education, everyone gets that sort of potential uh, unevenness um, you know, removed, and, and, and we get, and I believe in that sort of society. I think that societies become dangerously imbalanced when they become um, uh, un thought of as being unfair. I don't mean that everyone has to be equal. I don't think everyone has to be equal. I think that there has to be a sense of fairness. So everyone has the opportunity to achieve, and I think British society runs best, probably somewhere centre right on that. If I was going to describe myself, I think probably. Cameron sometimes could be a bit wishy-washy. I'd say, come on, tell them what you really think, David. Come on, Dave. 
Um, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to preach from the pulpit. He used to think Blair, you know, uh, you know, yeah, had a had a, a today's lesson, and he never wanted to. <laughs> he never wanted to do that. Yeah. And so, so he was always a little bit pulling his punches. Like, Come on, tell them as it is. And when he did, it was always quite successful. Um, so, so like that. But clearly, I'm not as you know, I'm not as, as described quite where where Liz has been. And may change. I don't know where 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 she where she's been because I just think that you know life is is more complicated than black and white. You know there are just shades of of, of difference. And anyone wise making a decision should want to listen to views from everywhere and take them into account and then try and make the best decision you can. And you know that is not always an ideological decision to make. I mean these are the sorts of things that this feels very reminiscent of. New Labour, you know, you're, you're strong on public services, you're pro-market. Why are you a Conservative then? Was it purely the time at which you were getting into <laughs> politics, the Labour Party was very hard left and it didn't appeal? Was there any, did you ever sort of shop around or what was your moment when you became a... Well, because, yeah, I mean, it's true that Labour, New Labour didn't exist when I went into uh, politics. Not that I'm saying I would have gone into it, but when I... I'll tell you the story, that's how I got into politics. I, I was 13... My parents, who worked together, they had a photographic shop um, selling equipment, photographic sh- equipment in, in, in London. So what, like, t- to industry or like Snappy Snap? Uh, no, it was kind of like, <laughs> if you go to the cinema, yeah. uh, you'd see something in widescreen or cinema scope, so yeah. widescreen. Um, if you had a home projector, and people would take their Super 8 film of the holiday yeah. at the time, that's how it worked, they'd show it onto the wall or what have you, it would always be in a square box shape. So to make it a bit more cinema scope like, they sold the lenses called anamorphic lenses to make it wider and then the screens to go with it. It's a real sort of bespoke kind of uh, enthusiastic business and that, that, was that, that was their business. And anyway, as a result, I come home from school, there'd be no one else in, I'd watch the, the you know, Grange Hill or something probably. On the, for, for, but on widescreen. Unfortunately, it wasn't the TV. You see, you haven't been following the story, have you? This is only home movies. Uh, and it was before been... the days of, of widescreen uh, TVs. Anyway, after Green Chill or whatever, I probably watched the news. And I was watching the news and I, I kind of, this is good. I like this. Maybe I should become a news broadcaster. Look at that. They're telling you about what's happened to the streaming intelligence. Must be brilliant, you know. And so I started watching the news quite intensely for a couple of weeks, convinced I was going to become a news broadcaster. And I suddenly realised they were talking about these MPs and these politicians and what they were up to. And it dawned on my sort of 13-year-old brain that they were the ones actually making the laws and therefore generating the news. And it would be far more interesting, you know, intellectually in every, every other way, to be doing that than reading from an autocue. And, and so, anyway, so this was my kind of 13-year-old thought. The problem was I have absolutely no family background whatsoever in politics and uh, had no idea how you become uh, an MP. So I phoned up the local constituency office when I was at school in Watford I called up the local constituency office for that MP to my surprise they called back and said the MP would says come for a cup of tea in the House of Commons I was like whoa that is so cool it was so cool it was and so who cool. was the MP it's a guy called Tristan Garrel Jones it's the late wow. Tristan Garrel Jones what a great name uh, yes <laughs> that's true too and uh, so I went for that uh, I met with him he sat me down and said so your question which party Brilliant question. I haven't got that far. Uh, he said, well, let me help you out here. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you've got a blue shirt. Uh, no, uh, yeah, he said, let me help you out. If you are the kind who is sort of quite academic, you like to theorise about your 
politics and policies. You may be ideologically driven, um, and you like to debate the policies themselves rather than get... You, you, you may be of the left, he said. You may be a, you may be a socialist, he described it as. You see what he was doing there, subtly infiltrating my young mind? He said, if you're more practical, you're probably into business, you, you, you do what works, um, you, you, you know, you've, got, you've got the winning gene, uh, you want to rule the world? No, I'm joking, I, uh, I'm making that up. Um, you're probably conservative. And this is still Thatcher days. So, um, so I said, well, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm probably conservative. My parents were in business together, they worked long hours. It was the thing which kind of... So I'm probably conservative. What do I do? He said, finish school. Disappointment, number one. <laughs> Go on to further education. Massive disappointment, number two. Um, uh, get some experience in industry for, you know, not, not for long, a year or two. Maybe start your own business. Start my own business. Now I'm scribbling it all down on the back of an envelope. So I said, what kind of business? Start a fish and chip business. Doesn't matter. A fish and chip shop. Then maybe open a chain. Just make sure it's successful open chain of fish and chip <laughs> restaurants. Um, and, um, and then uh, get some links with the local party wherever you are, offer to do the job that nobody wants to do. Treasurer, you know, secretary of the local branch of, of, that, of that party. And basically that's what I did apart from the fish and chip thing. I didn't, I was not hugely um, academic. I'd be much more interested in study later in life than I was at, at school. So I scraped through my... Um, GCSEs, O-levels, whatever they were, didn't, go, didn't do A-levels, but I did go to uh, do business studies, uh, doing an OMD in Watford. Then I, uh, that was two years when I would have been otherwise doing A-levels. Then I just about got into Manchester Polytechnic at the time, not to do a degree, but to do an HND, a higher national diploma, doing business studies again. I actually appeared to be exactly the same two years I've just done repeated. <laughs> again, which I found um, satisfyingly um, easy. And I got my HND, which to this day, my friends who were doing degrees said, oh, you've got your have no degree, HND. <laughs> I liked it when I was in cabinet at the Privy Council and I could go back to them and say, uh, well, that worked out okay. Um, we, 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 we like B-Techs. Um, and and then, then I... Um, I briefly worked in Manchester, where I was studying, to fill in the third year, whilst all my friends were finishing their real degrees, uh, and then I started my printing company, um, which has, has been going for 33, 32 years. So I started when I was 21, um, and it was you know, the challenge of my life, because it was, I, this was instead of the fish and chip shop. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, you know, because I, I was the youngest there employing people who I became very conscious that they were paying their rent and their mortgages and it all depended on the, on the success of this business. I remember I'd, I'd go to the cinema on Saturday night with my, with my mates and my mind would start to wander from the film to, so if we get the cash flow right and we do the debtors file, and that was the, for the first few years, it was, it was it's quite experience. And then I stood for local election at council, in councils, both in Manchester and in Brent, uh, in Tokyo, unwinnable seats. And then I got selected for a parliamentary seat, my very first one. Now, I don't know if anyone remembers, there was an MP, a Tory MP for Brent, where my business was, called um, Sir Rhodes Boyson. Oh, my God. Oh, there's a, you know, <laughs> notorious. Big chops, big yes. mutton chops. He, he got interviewed by Ali G on Chelsea. Yes, that's right, yes. <laughs> His finest hour, I'm pleased you remember that. 
He was also you know, Minister for Northern Ireland, uh, uh, a head teacher, and many other things. But this, could you remember the Ali G interview? <laughs> uh, no, it was a classic. Um, so, and, and it's a bit in that where they talk about capital punishment or something. Yeah, he said he, he got caned at school. No, she was like, you got caned at school. He didn't get the joke. He didn't get it at all. Now, he was from Lancashire, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. and he, and he was, but he represented Brent North. Yeah. Uh, and he'd always call me Grant. Grant. Well, not Grant. He was a Grant. And he was my sort of, you had to be, when you go on the candidates list, you have to have an MP who says, yeah, no, this is the person. And I worked in his constituency. I stood for election there. So he, by now he knew me. And I was selected in 90, for 95, for the 97 wipeout election when Blair got in, for the unsafe for a Tory seat of North Southwark and Bermondsey. The worst Tory majority in the country. It was the hardest seat to stand in. So I phoned him up and Sir Rhodes, great news. I, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a newly minted prospective parliamentary candidate for Southwark and Bermondsey. Is that not? Now, now, now Grant, Grant, uh, that is good news, that is. I said, yeah, I'm very excited. He said, no, you, you, you have been selected there for, for a safe seat you have. So I said, no, Sir Rhodes. I thought you'd misheard me. I said, no, it's Southwark and Bermondsey. No Tory has ever won this seat, and it did worse than any other seat in the entire country at the last election. He went, no, that's right. Uh, you're safe in the knowledge. You can remain in your printing business for another five years. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> I mean, how does it feel then? Because you've obviously built yourself up in, in business terms, in political terms, and people t- tease you for HMD or whatever, but then you, you end up in the Cabinet, you're one of the most prominent members uh, of, of the Boris Johnson government, you're one of the leading lights of the Tory party. I don't think it is any exaggeration to say whatever happens next to the Tory party, you're going to play some part in that. Um, and, and who knows what part that may be. You must feel very proud that, given where you come from, you've ended up in, you know, the right honourable grand chaps in the Privy Council. I, I just think with, like, with everything in life, um, you know, no matter what it is, we've all been there, you just have to stay grounded. And I've had some experiences in life which have just made me, made, made me uh, you know, just appreciate like the very, the very little things. I, I was once in a coma, and and uh, and I, I another time I had, you know, cancer and a lot of chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And when you're starting to get too big for your boots, and you're starting to, oh, this is fantastic, you know, here. And not that you shouldn't enjoy those moments, and it is an amazing thing to sit around a cabinet table. And I've had the opportunity, but you've also got to remember that actually the things that really matter in life are, are, are things like your health. So. Um, you were in a coma. Is it, what, uh, when you were an MP? Or, or no, no, this was... <laughs> no, that wasn't... <laughs> that, was, that was not a gag. And I thought nobody had noticed. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I meant... Like, was it brief and that it wasn't, uh, you know... So, so I was, what, what happens, the, the, summer after, the summer after I was... Um, I finished my HAPNO degree, the yeah. H&D, I don't want to call it a happen. Lots of people would be doing this. It was very valuable. Um, I, I finished that. And um, I, so I went travelling with a, uh, a mate of mine in, in the States who's, who's from America. I met him on a, a summer camp years, yeah, years, a couple of years before. And we decided we would drive from the East Coast to the West Coast, right across a proper you know, tour of the States, and then back again. And we took a month to, to go and do it. And it was all going very well. The two of us drove out to the West Coast. We're on our way back East. We got as far as... Uh, uh, no, where were we? That's not right. We, we, we were coming back, Colorado, Denver, Colorado, and we were joined by an English friend of, of, of mine who just flew out and joined us there for that little leg of the, the trip. 
And that day we were going to drive all the way across Kansas to uh, St. Louis. Uh, the thing about Kansas is it is genuine, genuinely true that the roads are long, straight and incredibly boring <laughs> to drive along. And my um, British friend, we both took shifts, me and my American friend, my, my British friend was, was at the wheel. It's the first time he'd ever driven in the States. He lost control of the car, I think, because he was on the other side of, you know, driving from the other side. We were on a highway, uh, which was the country's first interstate. Um, and uh, he lost control, swerved across the central reservation, across the oncoming highways, and then the car tumbled five times along the embankment or down the embankment on the other side. And I was thrown out of the, out of the car. And uh, I don't remember any of it um, happening. It was in a tiny place called Wikini, sort of population 2,500. Uh, the only copper, the only policeman, uh, I don't want to call them coppers, were they? Uh, was driving past, didn't hit us, but was driving past, called in the, the, the air ambulance. I was transferred to Wichita, Kansas. I woke up there, best part of a week later, uh, my mum had flown out, she was by the bed, and, uh, and came round. It was just, you know, I, I just, I, for anyone who's had the misfortune of experiencing a coma, at least for me coming out of it, was just an overwhelming sense of delight and pleasure to be alive. I mean, that thing about, you know, um, we're all lucky to be alive, you, you know, when you almost aren't, you feel even even more. And I was, I was just delighted to come around. I mean, I can't imagine. So when you first come out, do you, re what do you realise has happened? Um, I, I, I sort of knew something really bad had happened. I vaguely knew I wasn't home. Uh, I thought I was in New York, I don't know why, but I, I knew I wasn't home. I knew something terrible had happened. And I was starving hungry. I was really, <laughs> really hungry. Literally, my first request was for a steak. I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I really just... Um, but mainly, I, 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 I was just pleased to come around. I had you know, operations to have after that. My shoulder was broken and, and, and quite a few other things. But, uh, but it, yeah, it was, it, you know... Um, I don't remember the accident itself. And it really hit me, actually, till a couple of years later. All of this, because it's in the States, has to be settled through insurance with your liabilities and all, all, all the rest of it. And they faxed me. By now I'd started my printing company and I had a call from the States. Can you please stand by your fax machine? So you know, I stood by the fax machine. It churned out pages and pages, including photographs in black and white of the car, which was like it had been in a fire. In fact, it just rolled so many times. And it really hit me. And that was the time when I sort of broke down probably for the first time since having the accident. It took two years, delayed shock to really realise what had happened. Uh, and were the other day. two guys right? Yeah, actually, the guy who was driving uh, was, was fine, almost, almost un, unbruised and stayed in the car. The, the other guy was a bit bashed up. Um, he came to see me. He'd gone to a more local hospital. Eventually, when I came round, he came to see me. And I just remember saying to him, gosh, you look awful. You should, you should see what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there was... Because, you know, there's a theory that politicians often have, those who really make it, have had either some sort of emotional or physical trauma that either they lost a parent or a sibling early in their life? Or do, do you think the legacy of that was that it did give you a sort of level of drive and, and desire to get something out of life? I, I, I don't know. It would be really neat to say yes, but I don't know that the answer is yes, because that summer, as we were driving through Nevada going west... I had to stop at a sort of truck stop, and it was probably one of these with these sort of windy, you yeah. know, when you got the, the bit of sort of weed flowing, yeah, you know, yeah. tumbleweed, yeah. tumbleweed going past you, and use one of those US pay phones to call home to, to speak to Mavis 
in the Withington Ward in Manchester <laughs> to find out if I'd successfully been selected to stand in the local council election the following uh, May. And that was all I you know, you know, cared about in the desert in, in, in the States. So I was already planning to, you know, remember I'd already spoken to um, Tristan Garrett-Jones, I'd already decided I wanted to go into politics. I don't, I don't know people asking me that, and now I had this thing 10 years after that, um, just newly married, um, uh, and had just been selected for the seat that I finally... I didn't win Southwark and Bermondsey, it won't surprise you uh, to hear. Uh, so Rhodes Boyson's projection of uh, uh, remaining my business for another five years was spot on. That's exactly what the electors did. 2,835 2, votes in Southwark and Bermondsey. Because that is low. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, so usually it's like, get over at least ten or 20,000. I'll have you know I had 5.01% of the vote, just about there for keeping my deposit, <laughs> which you keep at 5%. Uh, and uh, so I wrote on my uh, political CV when I went for selection to Welland Hatfield, amongst other places, I'm the candidate who lost fewer votes than any other in the country in the 1970, 1997 election for, as a Conservative. And I... I, I of course, the answer was... There were so few to lose in the first place. <laughs> but this woman at the, the section, I think you must be a very good campaigner. This is when I went for selection in, in, uh, in Well in Hatfield. She said, you must be an excellent campaigner. It says here you lost fewer votes than any other Conservative against Tony Blair in, in the 97 election. Oh, yes, absolutely. And they selected me. Uh, uh, so, so, uh, but anyway, uh, I'd just been selected um, for, a, for an election, actually, which I didn't win, uh, the 2001 election. My seat was a Labour seat. It remained a Labour seat in 2001, so I fought it and didn't win it. Um, Blair was still riding very high. Uh, I had just been selected, and three months later was diagnosed with cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I phoned my party chairman and said, I, I think I'm going to have to, I'm afraid, I'm really sorry, I know you've gone through the whole selection process. I, I think I have to focus on, the, the, the oncologist is telling me, the next year you need to focus on the fight ahead, which is battling this, this cancer. And I, um, I said this to my association chairman, a man called John Dean. He said, you know, Grant, we didn't really enjoy doing that whole selection process. <laughs> Can we just talk about it in three months' time? And we never spoke about it again. And I did carry on and fight that election, and I lost it. And then fought the next one. I actually finally won an election, which was a, which was a major point. But that was after I'd had a, 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 a whole year of chemotherapy and, and radiotherapy. And going back to the reason you were asking all this, I, I think... So it's, it, it's great to do these things and meet Her Majesty the Queen and all those other <coughs> exciting things and, and, and help run this, maybe a small part of running this, this, this great country. But I, I sort of never forget that actually, you know, we're just basically lucky to be here on this, on this planet. You know, there are so many things that could have stopped us and not just cancer or a car accident, but not being born in Britain, not being born as humans, uh, you know, just the whole big picture of the fact that we all come from an exploded star and those are what our atoms are made up of. Too deep, but it is no. incredible, right? It is amazing. It weird. is. No, I think like that. Yeah. You do? Yeah, 100%. You no, know, they all think we're weird now. <laughs> yeah, but that's fine. We are. Like, let's own it, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, of course, I mean, I totally agree. Like, when you look around the world, how lucky we are to live for yeah. all the faults of this country, yeah. you know. And just anyway, to live in a world where there are foldable phones. Exactly. Where you can exactly. Spread, where is no, that I totally Samsung agree. Rent. Yeah. I think there is something, obviously, there's something special about life, but obviously, you've had that affirmed. I've not been in a coma or I had cancer or anything like that. You've had two big events in your life where life itself has been threatened to be taken away from you. Mm. I just wondered if that had any effectively political implications. So I, I, look, I think 
the main one actually is not on, um, you know, I think we're lucky to be here anyway. I don't think it's that. I think the, the main thing is actually experiencing the healthcare system in the US, uh, where I woke up from the coma, was very quickly transferred out of ICU or whatever the unit was, into my own room, the US care system. This is 89, 1989, before you'd have a TV, let alone a colour TV in, in the NHS, in my own room. I'm like, wow, this is unbelievable. Phone next to my bed, a phone in a hospital next to your bed, amazing, before mobiles and the rest of it. The phone rings. I pick up the phone, I'm still a bit groggy, I'm still coming round. Hello, hello. Um, so, oh, hi, this is something Medivac, the, uh, the helicopter that brought you to Wichita. Can you, have you got a credit card handy to pay the bill? I was like, oh my God, if I wasn't insured, I'm lying in bed and would have the additional worry of paying a bill for what amounted to, even in those days, probably hundreds of thousands of pounds for saving my life, rescuing him and saving my life. By comparison, 10 years later, when I had, uh, was treated by the NHS for for cancer, uh, I had the reassurance of, I knew that the support was there, I knew the system was there, I was treated actually the role free throughout, I lived quite close to it at the time, um, and you know, uh, the fact that the, the NHS works like a sausage machine, I found very reassuring, it, you know, there were people it was curing all the time, and um, my God, it makes you love the NHS, it really does, not to have that pressure of how you're going to pay the bills. So, these events made you a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pleased to report that's not the case. I, uh, look, I, I, I still believe, I, as I said before, I, I think, you know, I believe in a market economy, I believe in, uh, you know, I, I don't really care if, if people, uh, you know, I want people to get on in life, I want people to do the best for their families, I think all of that, you know, um, Adam Smith stuff actually, of, you know, why people come, butchers and bakers and Candlestick makers, I'm not sure they're known these days, but you know why they don't do it for the for, for their uh, for, for, you know for the interest of society as a whole. They don't open it thinking this will be great for society. They do it to sustain themselves and their their family. I suspect there's some economics teachers in here who are very upset about the way that I'm <laughs> bastardising this uh, this uh, this um, uh, Adam Smith saying. But it's but it's true, isn't it? Actually, the market is very very good at finding out what we need and providing it, and I do believe in that. Now, you know, there are, you know, I accept there are people across uh, different parts of the political spectrum that, that, that believe that, but I see nothing incompatible at all about being a conservative who's passionate about the NHS or, 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 or great ed education, or by the way, great public services. I mean, why, why aren't we better at providing stuff to our citizens? Sometimes it can be very good. I saw the best and worst of it was as transport secretary. I love jumping on, I don't know why you should ever enjoy paying a bill, but if you ever get your uh, vehicle tax renewed, that website generally works really, really well. It's done in a second or two. Um, on the other hand, it can be very difficult when DVLA were having trouble <laughs> through COVID in particular to get your license back. You know, why are you even sending licenses? And why do we even have licenses? Why aren't they digital? So every public service should be, you know, absolutely top notch. And I think all these things are completely compatible with my sort of centre right view of the world. We've got time for just a couple of uh, audience questions. So if you've got a question for Grant, indicate clearly if you can ask for uh, a quick uh, question, a quick answer. Yes, I have a woman there. Thank you. You talked about how much you enjoyed your time as Secretary of State for Department of Transport. What cabinet position do you have your eye on next? Great question. <laughs> what cabinet position do you have your eye on next? You know, I think I was put on this planet to serve my nation. And <laughs> 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 all right, all right, I'll stop. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Look, I, I, re- I said how much I enjoyed um, transport. It was a job I, 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 I wanted to do and asked to do and was, was lucky to do. Um, I, 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 although I'm jokingly so I do whatever job serves, there are jobs that I wouldn't do. It might be easier to answer that. I actually, surprisingly, never, ever want to be chief whip, who is the person who does all this accounting yeah. numbers. doesn't interest me at all as a, as a sort of professional thing. I, d- I would really not enjoy it. I never want to go back to... Uh, a job like chairman, I've, I've, I've done it before, I helped David Cameron win an unexpected election in 2015, but I would never want to do that job um, again. So it's probably easier if I start and sort of rule, rule out jobs, but, but uh, you, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> no, I'm fudging it, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, but, but, so I, Prime Minister I, or Chancellor? <laughs> ESP, I love it. <laughs> okay, good question. And uh, yes, the one down the front. Um, you said that you're not a fan of PR. If, in this completely hypothetical example, uh, a party was going to get 20% of the vote and end up with only two seats, yeah. uh, <laughs> you think you change your mind? <laughs> you're not a fan of PR, but in a highly uh, hypothetical example, if a party yeah. was to get 20% of the vote and only get two, two seats, seats yeah. would I then be in, in yeah. favour of it? Look, I mean, I, it's not that I don't recognise that the system isn't perfect. It's not perfect. I mean, as Churchill said, you know, it's an imperfect system, but it's just the best of a bad bunch. Again, misquoting him, but that's basically the, 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 um, the direction of what he's saying. Um, weirdly, actually, PR often would have advantaged the Conservative Party. And I think the thing about the Conservative Party, you, were, you know, lots of people would disagree with us in, in this room. But actually, at our best, we do things which are not to our advantage. When we fought passionately to keep... Scotland within the Union, it was of no political advantage and definitely of political disadvantage to us, but it didn't stop us from going out and fighting for it, because we just believed in the, in, in the Union. It wasn't like we didn't have any, I think we had one or no seats at the time, I can't remember. <laughs> so, but, you know, but we just did it because of the right thing to do. I believe the same about PR. Sometimes it would benefit even us. The reason why, I agree that it's not perfect, but the reason it works is because that connection that I was talking about before. You are my MP. I own you. I own a slice of you. You must respond to me. And any system of PR has to remove some of that connection. It doesn't have to remove it all. We voted on a system, I think the same year as the Scottish referendum, or around that time, didn't we? 2014. Maybe, yeah. And 2011, it was. We, and it, people voted not to have it by two to one. But we, we could have a system where you have some form of proportionality in it. The problem is you must always break that link. And who do the politicians then start to answer to? Not to the person who geographically lives within their community, within their constituency. Instead, to the party hierarchy. If you want to be elected, you have to appeal to the party members or the party hierarchy to get high enough up on that list, which goes from one down, so that the top two out of ten get themselves elected, and you destroy the very basis of representative democracy, in my view. So uh, the reason I really think that we're better off having geographical areas which in the end leads to some sort of first-past-the-post, is much less to do with any particular advantage to the party. I cite the Scottish thing, where we did what was not to our advantage, but the right thing, but because I think it provides better representative democracy. OK, time for one last question. This will be the best question of the night. Yes, the, the, uh, a hand up in the middle there. Here we go. No pressure. If Liz Truss is removed... How Excellent start. <laughs> if Liz Truss is removed... No, I, look, I really don't think when we're in the same before. In power, you've got to do these things quickly. And you cannot have, I think. I think we should change this regardless of the
the Liz Truss element of this. Yeah. I think we should change the rules for good. That in a, it, it, when you are in power, you must not waste time uh, uh, because there's too much going on with individuals. The inflation at the moment, but it will be something else at another, another period in time. I think our party members, who I know and I like, I'm represented, you know, I was party chairman, will understand, actually, that this is not the time to be going out to the, to, to the country and spending two months. It was too long during the summer. Many members say that to me. Um, I think when you're in opposition, it's great, you know, get to know the candidates, get to know the shadow cabinet. No one ever knows who the shadow cabinet are. I mean, it's very, very hard to get to know more than two or three. Great opportunity. Uh, but in government, I think MPs need to decide, and I say that regardless of the current situation, I just think we should change the rules. And how soon do you think you could change those rules? <laughs> just brilliant. <laughs> Obviously, it's a question we all uh, 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 is high in our minds. Grant, who knows what happens next? If you were to make some predictions. <laughs> okay, two predictions for what happens next. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that uh, your team, not Forest. Nottingham Forest, yeah. Yet. Going to stay at the bottom of the league. Yeah. Um, and. <laughs> Um, and we will get through this. The one thing I agreed with Liz <laughs> on the doorstep to number 10 is, you know, Britain's used to storms coming and going. We will get through this. We will need wisdom to mm. do it. We will need to um, uh, make sure we up our game. But we can get through this as a country. And the one thing I would say, uh, which I don't make as a political point, is we should never forget where these problems are coming from. You know, they are coming from a, sorry, very evil man to these. We have Ukrainian family living uh, with, with us. They've been living with us for the last uh, five months. You know, when there are bombs in Kiev, as there were this morning, you know, they, they are a constant reminder to, to, to me uh, and to our family that we are in this position of very high energy costs and very high inflation and a threat to our mortgage rates and squeeze on all of our costs of livings because freedom isn't free. And we're not having to fight it like they are, you know, in Donbass. But we are having to experience it in our real lived lives uh, in this country. But we'll get through this. Actually, euphoric note to end on. Uh, Grant, <laughs> there have been a number of... We're, we're, we're all made from stardust and, <laughs> and freedom matters. Um, Grant, this has been an absolute privilege. Thank you so much for joining us, particularly at a time like this. This has been a real uh, treat. Ladies and gentlemen, before uh, we thank Grant Chaps, a round of applause for everyone at the uh, Duchess Theatre and everyone at Avalon who made tonight possible. To all of you for being such a wonderful audience, do come again. But ladies and gentlemen, please, a huge thank you to the phenomenal Frank Shacks. Well, there you go, Grant Shacks. I know I often say this, but more than any other interview, I was just fully engrossed. I genuinely thought when I checked the time, subtly checked the time, I thought we'd done about 40 minutes and we'd already done over an hour. And I was like, oh, no. And I know I often fantasise about doing like three or four or five hours with someone, but Grant Shapps, I could have done 24 hours with easy. Uh, it was just such great company. And, of course, you're talking to someone, as I keep saying, <laughs> 
But the timing of it was perfect because you're talking to someone who's obviously uh, has a role to play in whatever happens next. Um, but what a, what a phenomenal night and what a phenomenal guest. So the next three guests, David Dimbleby on the 7th of November, Matt Hancock on the 14th of November, Rachel Reeves on the 5th of December, and then the Christmas special soon to be announced on the 19th of December. And my next two stand-up shows at the, uh, at the Bloomsbury Theatre on the 21st and the 28th of October. I shall see you there. And please leave uh, a five-star written review, share it far and wide, tell all your friends, and I'll see you next time. Ta-ra. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.